Good morning. This is uh, time for Doc Scott's Revival Talk. This is a, a weird angle, but um, you know, doing this in the car because we're on our way to Nashville. And so, and I'm not really sure if my hair looks good on this light or not, but um, any rate, we're headed to Nashville to do some ministry stuff up there for fun and um, whatnot. So it's our second trip in, I don't know how many days, and I can feel like we just came back and turned around. And went back up there. In 1.5 uh, miles, turn left on Sand Hill Road. At any rate, I wanted to talk about some other things that were happening. Um, so, like five years ago, my wife and I like wrote a book together about all the Holy Ghost stuff that Jesus did in a public school. And we're that book is complete, and we're working on getting it published right now. So, if you're a publisher, I'll give you my cell phone number. Just kidding. But anyway, I want to tell you how that came to be. Hey, sailor. Um, In one mile. Essentially, the backdrop for the story, which is going to give you the real short version, because I want to talk about the book that's going to be coming out. And I've got another one that's going to be coming out that's a devotional. And on shame and breaking out of shame and self-destructive behavior. So we got like two that will probably come out like almost simultaneously. But the book that I wrote, um, that we wrote for about the school, is called um, Bringing the Supernatural to the Workplace, Confessions of a High School English Teacher, kind of like the idea of being incognito. So the backdrop for that story was we moved to Brunswick in, what, 2007? Um, that's my wife I'm talking Hello. to. Say hi. Yep. And... I'm going to give the real short version of Florida because I've talked about it a lot. I've talked a lot about how on our, in, in, on our way to the seat of our authority where we're actually stepping into the thing that we were created for, um, that's usually the place where the enemy takes us out. I mean, literally. And so in Florida, the short version would be, <laughs> uh, let's see. Years of custody battles, losing a business, losing homes, um, injustice in the job place, um, every kind of storm. You know, I call it the perfect storm. So this, you know, losing $20,000 that we had invested in an adoption, which we got later. We got it later for uh, without it. Uh, but at any rate, so coming to Brunswick, we were totally we had been decimated, bankruptcy, the whole nine yards. Lost everything, parts of inheritance, I mean everything. So like, I always refer to it as the perfect storm of the enemy. So whatever he levies against us to take us out, he did. And then we came to Brunswick. So that was the backdrop. Um, during that time, and I've talked about this a little bit too, you know, having been in pastoral ministry for like 10 years prior to this, I can't, I can't believe in one level that I could get to a place that, that I was during that 10 years. But during that 10-year period where everything was blowing up, we didn't like Christians. We didn't go to church. Our church was the movie theater because we could handle truth that snuck around our defenses. But we didn't want to be in church because we've been really hurt by Christians. Anybody relate? Raise your hand. Yes. Um, so we I, we had wanted nothing to do with that. And during that time, I had kind of adopted a place 
in my own heart, I used to jokingly say that my God was the God of Bette Midler, who was watching at a distance. You know, basically, I grew offended with God because I wasn't offended as much about the things that happened as I was by this idea that he let it happen. And, you know, looking back now, you know, like how many years later, I know that part of the core issue for me was I just didn't believe that he was good. And whatever we carry in our hearts as far as rejection, abandonment, fatherlessness, all those things become part of our projection onto God. And we see ourselves as being abandoned and we wonder why he's not here for this or for that and why how we could let something happen which honestly it's one of the biggest questions that a that most believers have is like you know we thought i don't know about you but i thought once god was in the boat you know hey smooth sailing i didn't think that everything that could happen happened And, you know, we're not exempt from the stuff hitting the fan. The only difference between us and the world is where our hope is. And during that season of my life prior to Brunswick, I had lost hope. And I'd actually, as a pastor, lost, (laughs) that's kind of fun, lost the ability to believe that God loved me personally. I did not understand, and I I had so many layers around my heart, it was uh, unbelievable. But don't you know that Jesus chases after prodigals, and Bible Lit in a public school was actually just part of a trap that he set for me in a good way. I remember um, my department head sending out an email, it was like my third year at Glen Academy, and it was like, anybody want to teach Bible Lit, there was a board member that wanted it. So if you're wondering how, you know, there is a course code for Bible literature, it's on the books, but most districts across the country don't teach it. And, but this board member wanted it. And I, before I could think, I responded, yes, I want it. And I knew when I said yes, that essentially Jesus was setting me up because he knew that the one way he could probably get to my heart was through the kids and that I was going to have to engage with kids and I was going to have to engage with my heart and I was going to have to engage with the Bible again. So I was in my decimated place and my total just believing that God had um, allowed me to be destroyed and didn't do anything. Um, I taught the Bible, I started teaching the Bible lit class, and what began to happen almost immediately was my heart began to resurrect. And I remember, um, you know, I remember just watching the kids, like, if you, all right, let me back up and say this. Most of the time, the kids that take that class are believers. Every now and then, you get some that aren't. You know, I've had atheists before, I think it makes it a lot more interesting. Um, because they ask for like good questions, but generally they're churched kids. Okay. And I don't say this as a commentary about parenting as much as I do the generation. They're churched kids that are kind of, they've learned how to behave. They've learned how to be good or look good at least, but they have all the same struggles that all the other kids have. And they're dealing with it quite as intently. And many of them, because of the journals and stuff that I would do with them, 
I did journals that asked them about their view of God, asked them about how they viewed love, asked them about, you know, who was God versus Jesus. And, you know, and essentially they would be upfront that they didn't have quite the depth of relationship with Jesus. So I always knew what I had. And um, so at any rate, in the context of that class, I remember um, one of the students invited me to go to church. And he would invite me. He pursued me. I remember the first time I told Apps, many of you guys know Apps, the first time I told him that I didn't believe that God loved me anymore, he, he cried. And he just couldn't believe that someone had been through so much that they could be in that place. And it's not that I didn't believe God was in the picture, but like I said, he was the God of Bette Midler, off in the distance, you know, but not very involved. So he would invite me to go to church and I would want to go. And so finally I just told him, I said, look, I'm not going to make any more promises because I'm going to break them all because I would say I'll come and then I wouldn't go. And I found out later that he actually sat on the front porch of the, of the church steps and waited 30 minutes every week for me to show up. And then one day I caught him all by surprise. I showed up. I walked in and there was a Chris Tomlin song playing. It wouldn't really matter what the artist was, but it was that our God is greater. Our God is higher than any other. I'm just messing that song completely up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and my heart just broke. And I got captured in worship because, see, the part that I had cut out of my life in my hardened, protected place was worship. And this was the first time I'd been in a worship environment for 10 years. And so I realized then Jeremiah 17, 9 was true, that the heart is deceitful above all things. But the biggest revelation I had, it's like you have to come in the light to have the light penetrate you. That's why a lot of times I say you have to have an encounter sometimes with Jesus to have an encounter. And I came into the light and I came into worship and I realized in that moment that, um, see, let me just say this, worship is our warfare and that's the part I cut out. And so I was cutting out the most significant part of the whole relationship and everything that connected me to God. And so in that moment, I realized that I just wept that God had never left me, that I had been offended and not left him, but just walled him off pretty good. And right around that time, I remember um, in many ways, it was very interesting. It, you know, men are like a light switch in a lot of ways, and I won't explain that. But you just flip the switch and we're on, right? And so in many ways, it was like the hard drive of my heart got reconnected and I hadn't missed a beat with God. It was like everything was familiar and it was like, wow, okay, Lord, I guarded my heart, but you've always been here and I'm connecting to the God that's still here. And the only part that was a little challenging for me, I remember pulling over my car and I was just wailing on the side of the road and I called my buddy Kent and I was like I don't know what to do with my dreams because when you wall off from God you wall off from destiny too and my heart was coming back to life and all of a sudden 
I was realizing there was so much grief in my heart because I was going to have to dream again. And it was terrifying. And the Lord gave me a promise that I'll never forget at that time. He said to me, like in the days of Noah, son, never again will the waters of destruction come this way. And what he meant was, he didn't mean, I knew he didn't mean that we would never have a hard time again or never encounter a challenge or have spiritual warfare. What he was saying to me was, in the ways that you were laid to waste and decimated in Florida, that storm will never come again. And I began to hope. And what happened shortly after I got connected, I remember, it was so funny. I had a discussion with my first Bible Lit class, because usually on the first day, third day class, they want to know about premarital sex, drugs, and homosexuality, always. And I always talk about it. They know they're going to get a faith-based response. We had somebody ask me about Christians and cursing. Now, you have to understand, I had been in the movie theaters for 10 years, and I thought cussing was therapeutic. And so I had a hard time, like, saying to these kids that, well, you know, how do you justify it? Well, I think cussing in safe places is all right. I think cussing in private is really good. Or I think cussing for therapeutic. I remember my answer was so muddled because I was so in the process of getting connected to my heart. I came back around at the end of that school year and I said, I want to, when God had done so much in my heart, I said, I want to readdress the issue of cursing. I said, here's the thing. Because I was the king of every kind of innuendo joke. You know, I was the king of usually using profanity for shock value. I was a shock jock. And I said, here's what I think about it. I don't think it's different than any other sin, but the issue for me is where does my speech lead me and lead others? And usually, if I just let whatever come out of my mouth, it's going to lead me down a path of destruction. So I, I told, I confessed to the kids. I was like, you know, I used to be into, you know, lots of innuendo and lots of language, you know, during my 10-year hiatus when I was protecting my heart. Um, and I said, but I don't believe that anymore. My, my words matter. My words are weighty. And if the words that I'm putting out there, they're going to take you one direction or the other, life or death. And during that school year, I began to see like the Jesus and the kids. And because that first year of Bible Lit was also my reconnect, you have to understand, I hadn't heard contemporary Christian music or worship yet. I didn't know who Jesus culture was at all. And the kids were turning me on to Bill Johnson and Jesus culture. And it was like I was in a 10-year time warp because... Like I said, during those 10 years of our devastation, I had shut down and walled off. And so I was like coming alive. So we were watching music videos, Christian music worship videos in my classroom. And because my process of reconnecting and engaging my heart with God again after many years of disappointment with God was paralleling that first class, I was coming to life in the class. 
And so they were watching this transformation in me. And I remember at one point, I had never done this. And I was, you know, skating a line because we almost had revival the year after that, I believe. Um, there was a teacher next door that had lupus. And she was a really good friend of mine. And if you know anything about lupus, it's like it's not a matter of how much pain you have in your body. It's just a matter of whether you have it or not. It's just a matter of how much pain you're going to have. And I, and the way she would describe it was when my feet hit the ground in the morning, I can, I know how much pain I'm in. And I remember watching her, like I would be one of the ones that knew where she was really at because she was always giving herself away, focusing on other people and not her thing, her own stuff. And I remember I could tell, you know, I'd be like on a scale of one to 10, you're about 11 today. And she'd like shake her head and she would tell me. And then I would see her running to the bathroom because she couldn't keep any food down. Pain was so bad. And so I had orchestrated, I had talked to the secretary. I wanted my class to pray for her. Okay, preface. I wanted the entire class in a public school in Georgia to pray for this teacher. And because my back coming back to life was so tangible, I didn't really care about the rules at all. And I'll, I have to say this, ironically, in nine years of teaching Bible in a public school, I'd never had an administrator walk in the room. Talk about being hidden in plain sight. But anyway, so I orchestrated for her to come over and she came in and I told the kids, because I already talked to her about it, I told the kids that we were going to pray for her and I told them a little bit about lupus. And I, I was like all skittish and nervous. I was like, all right, so if, if you don't want to, you don't have to. And, you know, and you know, I didn't want to put anybody on the spot. So I said, if you want to come on up, the entire class came up and I was I was gone. Jesus knew the trap that he set for me to engage me in my heart was to bring me around the generation and bring me back into a generation that grew up loving Jesus for the most part and just connecting with kids. And I, I knew that was the, the trap of the Lord to bring this little prodigal back home. So the Lord's going to set some traps for some of you guys and for some of the people out there. He's really good at reeling us in, trust me. And so at any rate, we, we started to pray for this teacher. And she was a Catholic believer. And I just say that to say that she didn't have a real grid for Holy Spirit. You know, and the Bible was something that was read from the front, not on your own. And so um, as we were praying, there was this little girl on the sitting by the um, chalkboard. And she was like, I just got this picture. All right, I'm going to tell you what a word of knowledge does to break into the heart. I see you in a rocking chair, and I see Jesus ministering to you in that rocking chair. And that every time you get wigged out, flipped out, depressed, you go, and I actually see like a porch, like a, like almost like you're on a back porch, you're looking at a marsh, and it's like you just sit in your chair, and you just rock and Jesus ministers to you. And she stops her. She says, what you don't know is that when I had the only child that I could have, I got a rocking chair. And every time 
I'm waked out, stressed out, flipped out, depressed, whatever, I go to my rocking chair. So suddenly, for this Catholic believer, the God of the universe isn't out here. He's front and center saying, I see you. And it blew her completely away. And so she told me later that the kids that had their hands on her knees had fire in their hands. And she felt it and was real aware of it because with her joints, anything that felt like that was just like unbelievable. And so as my year progressed, um, I kind of let loose. I think at the end of that school year, I actually said, I think I want to take off the teacher hat and put on like the youth pastor hat for the last three weeks. Anybody object? And it was like every hand went up and said, it's fine. It's fine. And so that began to set the pattern for what would happen in Bible Lit. Um, every year I would get a new crop of students and eventually I got two classes a year of it. And, you know, different conditions, different things going on, but everything supernatural came into that room. I remember Meg and Evan Beard, who are an incredible married couple in Brunswick, they were these guys that loved Jesus, were hardcore Jesus, and they made Jesus look like loving Jesus look cool and they would come in and like throw it down for these guys like I mean literally just preach I've had Sid Roth come to my class three times and the first <laughs> the first time that he came my pastor and my friend was sitting up front I was sitting in the back and I you know Sid asked the question dangerous question so what can I do and of course I gave a very dangerous answer I said whatever you want you're the guest and so he literally led them all through the plan of salvation these are church kids standing up to re-receive Jesus or recommit their life to Jesus in a public school with their hands in the air I was like no um then he led them all in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And about 10 of those kids were speaking in tongues. I was like, only in this classroom. Oh, I like only, only, only. It was like, and so the book that we wrote is really about bringing supernatural to your workplace. You know, you can do anything wherever you are. You just have to have the blueprint of heaven and know what God's doing and be listening to God about what he wants to do. But I had teachers get healed. I had, I mean, it was crazy. I remember, I could tell a million stories, but I'll just tell a few. Our son that we adopted when he was 15, right before his junior year of high school, his first encounter with me was he came in, he was a 10th grade student. He came in after football one day and his knee was like this big and he had gotten injured and he was in pain. And so anytime we prayed, I talk about my desk had fire behind my desk for years. It, like that was the place. In fact, when uh, I think when Michael Van Vyman came in, he saw the angel that was sitting over my desk. So it's like there's a big angel in the corner back behind me. And, and that angel was always there. And if you came behind the desk, you were going to get fire. And so 
Okay, let me repeat. Fire of God public school. Okay. So, anyway, I always brought other kids in. I'd be like, put your hands on his knee. Put your hand, I want you to feel this. I want you to experience this. I don't, you know, because it's not about me. It's about what we're giving away and what we're releasing to the kids. So, they put their hands on him and his knee went whoop, all the way down. And he just looked up at me like, what just happened? I was like, Jesus just happened. Jesus happened. That was what God, that's what God does. I'll tell you what, you need the supernatural wherever you are. And because we carry the kingdom of heaven inside of us and we release the kingdom wherever we go for the whole time that I was at Glen Academy and I'm still there, but I'm also in a transition. So we don't know what's happening, but I said that there won't be a shooter while I'm there. And that sounds like the most arrogant statement on the planet, but it wasn't because I knew that the angels encamped around that campus and I knew that, that we were protected. And that's the thing that I think, you know, if I could give something away, what you don't know is what happens in your workplace when you walk into the room. You know, I remember things like little things would happen. I would feel like I need to go see this teacher. And I just pop in for a minute and I would go down there to someone's room and it was like, this teacher was literally like suicidal. It was wanting to give it all up. They were like totally gone. And I walked in and when you walk in and I walk in, the atmosphere in the room changed. Everything about what was going on with her changed. Her countenance lightened. How many kids or how many people around you who didn't? commit suicide, who didn't have an abortion, who didn't, um, whatever, because we were there. That's the reality. And that's why we wrote this book, because the reality that we want people to understand is that we are walking habitations and revivals. And so your presence changes the atmosphere. And I saw it over my room, the presence of Jesus, that my room was a habitation. People came in my room and felt safe. People came in my classroom and they they would say this room feels different. Well, of course it does. The stuff that's been sewn into this room in prayer. I remember going upstairs um, to visit a teacher and I popped in a classroom and I saw a girl that I'd had a few years earlier as a student. And all I did was turn and I said, how are you doing? thinking of, you know, like, you got me thinking now, and I'm just wondering how you're doing, and she was like, it's kind of stressed, it's kind of hard, but I'm all right, and the next day, the police, the chief of police comes to my classroom, and I'm like, am I in trouble? Did somebody leave marijuana in my desk? Like, what's going, why is the chief of police here? You know, like, whoa, well, he said, I just wanted to thank you. Because when you said something, the two words that you said to my daughter changed, like my language would be the atmosphere of her entire day, that she was really like having a big struggle and, and you walked in and you said something to her and I, he had tears in his eyes and then I did too, of course, you changed everything for her just by walking in there and, and seeing her 
I walked in to say something to somebody else, but I saw her. So, interesting. So that's my point, is that we, I remember um, I had teachers, one of my custodian friends came in, he'd been wearing a leg brace for I don't know how long. In fact, the first time he got healed, I didn't pray for him. Um, Megan and Evan, that young couple that would come to Bible it, he got, he was supposed to get surgery and literally he like took his leg brace off, started dancing in the classroom. And then he was like, my, he's one of my best friends. And I remember weeks later, he had injured it again and he wouldn't tell me. And I was like, what? I said, I sent the students to go find him. I said, go find Mr. Roy and bring him back here now because we're going to get this thing right. And so we brought him back and we just began to pray for him again. And he got healed all over again. And, you know, my joke through the years became, close the door, we don't pray in school. And every class this last year, I had a team. I would just say, hey team, come on. And they were the ones that would come. I'll tell you what made this thing really kick up. We almost had revival for the second time. This is what can happen in your workplace just like that. One student in a school gets lit and there's a revival on campus. I'm just saying. I had kids. All right. We segued with the revival that's going on in Dawsonville. Okay. And my wife and I went up there. She got healed of stage three cancer. We kind of connected Todd with, you know, like Sid Roth and the people in our town. We kind of connected all that together. And, and then Todd came to our place and he's been down there three times. The last time Todd was here, or the time before last, he came in my classroom with Sid Roth. And I had one of my students come up to me. I mean, talk about the glory. They were like, we need to pray for so-and-so because his head is on the desk and he can't get it up. Well, yeah, because the weighty presence of the glory of God was in the room and the kid couldn't lift his head. And so, <laughs> right. I forgot where I was going with that, but it was going somewhere good, I promise. But at any rate, oh, at the end, I started saying, you know, close the door. We had a team that was always prepared. I, have, I would have a young lady who came to the revival. Here's what happened. One of my students, um, during the revival, during the first time that Todd came. So this is when, this is a plug for saying, when you go to Dawsonville or you go to Remnant and Brunswick and you get in that water, you're not just getting something for yourself. There's an impartation for you as a revivalist in the water. So go get in that water. And so I recognized a sharp increase in the level of anointing when we came back. The people, the, the kids that I prayed for when we came back, all of them would have fire. And I'd have students come back the next day and say they had fire in their chest all night long. That particular student was a skeptic, was an agnostic. And so it's so nice to be able to say, so you've been a little bit like iffy with the God thing, right? So what do you think about Jesus now that you had fire in your chest all night long? And like, I think he's kind of real. We have to have the signs, wonders, and the miracles in the workplace. We have to have supernatural. 
this is a I need to see it and feel it generation. They've, they've watched and heard everything we have to say and they don't want to hear another word. What they want is a demonstration and that's what we have to give them because that's what we carry. And so I remember I took three students up to the revival at Dawsonville, kind of, I had a relationship, you know, sort of with their parents and I just wanted to get some kids in that water. And I remember um, the first one had um, cystic fibrosis. Never played sports in high school because he couldn't breathe. If you don't know what CF is, it means every day is a struggle. He was on several medications. He had to wear a vest once a day. that shook up his lungs. It was not a great life. And so I had him, and I had, and he was African-American young man. And then I had my skinny white boy, country boy. I called him my skinny white boy. And he was as country as country gets. And um, he'd been coughing up a lung for weeks. And it's <laughs> essentially... His mama was going to take him to a specialist because he was like coughing his head off. And so he was coughing. And then the other boy was African-American. He didn't have any, any disorders that we're aware of. So we get in the water and they let me baptize him. You can still find the footage on there. And Dawsonville is back in, uh, what was it, like Fe February. March? Yeah. February or March? Yeah, February. And um, at any rate... Um, the young man that got had CF that night, he had the fire of God in his chest for hours. He said for three or four hours, it was burning in me. And he said, it's like my chest expanded. Texted me like the day before, like they, she wasn't going to let him go. She didn't feel good about being on the country. And I said, so I said, did I tell you that my wife got healed of stage three breast cancer in those waters all of a sudden she sends the crying emojis and she's like hold on let me get this boy so me and her are texting her son and he's texting both of us and we're like making sprint go out of business because we said i realized that God may be doing it a way that I had not anticipated. She wasn't thinking that some teacher was going to take her son to Dawsonville, Georgia and the revival and get in the water. She never had that in her grid. There's a lot of suddenlies here and you guys got some suddenlies coming. Oh, wow. All right. Yes. So my skinny little white boy was so country. I had to use an interpreter. And um, that's my joke from Miami, Florida. Um, he's like, the next day we're in the car. And he's like, oh my God, I ain't been coughing. I might have said it like that. I ain't been coughing. I'm like, break that down for me, son. I need to have each word individual, okay? Y'all put just five words in a sentence right there. Or five words in one. He wasn't coughing. The other young man said, before we got into the pool... Outside the pool. Now, if you haven't been to Dawsonville, you got two sets of steps going down into the water. And when you're on the stairs, you can't see us. But before we got on the steps, he said he had the fire of God on his feet. After he got out of the water, when he came up out of the water and Marty was there holding his head, he said, he told me later, I didn't even know where I was. I didn't even know where I was. It was like a Holy Spirit and fire was in the water and he was like disoriented. 
later, he told me he had the fire of God in his stomach all night long. Now, come on. And after we came back from that trip, that's what happened to most of the kids that I prayed for. If we prayed for them, they were having fire for hours in their chest. That's what I'm talking about, impartation for revivalists. you got to get up there. So... the better because simple people believe the gospel and simple people release the kingdom I'm very simple what you see is what you get and I remember that night in the hotel room I had already been able to start seeing angels in my room at night as transparent angelic in the room, everything will be, you'll feel that tingling presence all up your arms. They were seeing them and feeling them. That was just a moment of like absolute simplicity and wanting to bring somebody else into it. If you're not doing the stuff in the workplace, you won't see the stuff happen. This is the book, um, Bringing the Supernatural to Your Workplace, Confessions of a High School English Teacher, that we're in the process of getting published. We're trying to figure that out. If you're a publisher, call me, or next text me. So at any rate, that's what we were going to talk about today. So Lord, I just pray this. I, I ask that you would bring us back into the place of simplicity with you where we actually believe the book and would you deliver us from and free us to be simple in our faith and just to believe. And Father, for the ones, if you've liked this thing, make sure you share it. But for the ones that um, know that related really well to what I was talking about in the years of devastation where my heart grew cold and protected against you and I and you brought me back to life and you made us the promise that that you weren't going to come with that that destruction wasn't going to come that way again anybody in that place Jesus we just call them to life and I ask that you would um jump start the hard drive of their heart and that you would just overwhelm them with your goodness the key issue in all of this is if I had to be really, really simple, it's knowing who you are, 
which is why Jesus wants to heal us and why in this revival he's going after the heart because he wants us to be a habitation and we can't have a bunch of baggage in the way between us and him we can't have old residual junk in our heart that wants to agree with our shame which says we're defective and tell us that there's something wrong with us and keep us in this place of always feeling like we're separate from God we have to know that we are one and that we are in union and that we carry the kingdom and that we are walking habitations and revivals waiting to happen when we know that and we believe that and we're in that very simple place you will see miracles happen in your workplace trust me it's a much better way to share the gospel to get somebody healed or to prophesy or to see them launched to a destiny because of a word of the Lord than it is to preach. They've already had that song. They don't want that song. They want the song that they can experience, touch, and feel. And that is the God that we carry. Blessings, guys. See you tomorrow. Much love. On our way to Tennessee. And I'll catch up with you.